Welcome to Hill Time with me, your host, Hillary Tompkins. I'm a partner in Washington, D.C. at Hogan Lovells, and I'm here talking with all my buddies who work in the important areas of climate, ESG, tribal affairs, and we have chats every so often to hear what's going on, what are the hot topics in these areas. Today, I have a tremendous guest, Jacqueline De Leon. She is a buddy of mine, a fellow Native woman lawyer who also happened to go to Stanford Law School and also went to Princeton in Jersey. Uh, so she's a very accomplished woman and really doing incredible work as a Native lawyer. Jacqueline works for the Native American Rights Fund, which is an incredible organization that handles cases on behalf of tribes and advocates for tribal rights and sovereignty in her career. So Jacqueline, welcome to the show. Oh goodness, thank you so much for having me. And Hillary, it's so wonderful that you're doing these chats and I love uh, always talking with you and learning from you. And so really happy to be here with an, a fellow SLS alum. It's, it's, it's great um, to see us uh, Native women uh, you know, doing fun things. Absolutely. It, the education was well worth it, right? Wouldn't you say? It was. It's really, you know, it was a journey, certainly, um, and an adjustment in some ways. But in a lot of ways, uh, the payoffs have been tremendous. You know, I, I call my SLS alumni more often than I would have ever thought. And, you know, I think that it's really been a wonderful way to, you know, get an introduction to high level advocacy. And so, uh, you know, really, really happy to be here. So today we're going to talk about a specific piece of legislation, the Native American Voting Rights Act. Uh, and just to tee it up for the audience, um, to give a little background, there's been a great effort in Congress to pass voting rights legislation generally from the Democratic side of the aisle. And... In that effort, there has also been this sub-effort that maybe a lot of people don't know about, which is to enact legislation that applies uniquely to Native American citizens. And you should all know that Native Americans like Jacqueline and me, we are U.S. citizens, obviously have the right to vote, and we are also tribal citizens of our tribal nations. And so we take both of those roles as, as very serious and, and that there are very significant rights associated with our dual citizenship. So in Congress, Jackie's, Jacqueline's going to tell us about the Native American Voting Rights Act here in a second. But to tee it up, the exciting news is that proposed legislation has been introduced. It was introduced in August uh, in, in a bipartisan manner. It's called the Frank Harrison Elizabeth Peretrovich and Miguel Trujillo Native American Voting Rights Act. And co-sponsors in the House were Representative Tom Cole and Sharice Davids. And one of the sponsors in the Senate is from our home state of New Mexico, Senator Ben Ray Lujan. So tell us, Jacqueline, why is there a special bill that is focused on Native Americans specifically in the voting rights arena? So I think a lot of people don't know that you know, Native reservations have unique problems uh, that I think you know, 
call out for specific relief. So all over Indian country, uh, for those of us that are familiar with Indian country, it's not surprising that, you know, it might take 50 miles of travel to reach a post office or that it might take 50 miles of travel to reach, unfortunately, a polling place. And uh, that's because often, too often, uh, polling places are placed off the reservation. And what we're seeing increasingly is that legislatures that may be ill-intentioned are taking advantage of the structural deficiencies that are throughout Indian country. So the fact that we've got bad roads, the fact that things are far, the fact that people don't have cars, the fact that they don't have addresses on their homes, it's being taken advantage of. And the way that people do that, if they want to cut out the native vote, is to say, I'm going to have a law that seems like it's neutral, like it's not actually directed toward any you know, particular person. But it just so happens that what I, you need to comply with that law, the people that I want to cut out don't have that. So, you know, for example, in North Dakota, I think you know, the obvious and blatant situation there is they required IDs with residential addresses on them when they knew that Native Americans did not have residential addresses. So it was impossible uh, for some people to comply with the law through no fault of their own, despite being uh, qualified citizens that are entitled to the right to vote. And so what we need is federal protection. Absolutely. Uh, Well said. That's a great example, I think, of what some folks might not realize is that requirements that seem neutral, like you need voter identification, right, or you need to have a street address, uh, those kind of things that seem innocent can actually really debilitate the ability of certain tribal members to vote. And so it's recognizing that there needs to be special protections in the voting rights arena that are catered or customized to tribes. So tell us a bit about what does this legislation do to address those unique attributes of Indian country? Yeah, so I think the heart of NAVRA is that it mandates on-reservation polling places and registration opportunities. And that's honestly a really intuitive fix that is something that I hear from people that sometimes, you know, somebody's trying to argue against me being like, well, you know, why don't they just put a polling place on the reservation? And I'm like, exactly. (laughs) And, you know, it takes a lot of educating to people to, you know, it's not just the case that people can't put polling places. They can, but they don't want to. And something that we've done is conduct a lot of research into voting in Indian country. And we released a really large report about it called Obstacles at Every Turn. And in that report, what we found over and over again were county officials that wanted to keep voting services off the reservation away from Native constituents. And so, you know, we saw that there's a resistance to providing that type of voting opportunity. So the heart of NAVRA is providing on reservation a federal mandate saying, hey, you individual county person, you don't get to decide whether these thousands of Native Americans have to travel off the reservation to vote. 
Instead, it's a mandate that you provide on-reservation registration and polling place opportunities. The rest of NAVRA has fixes to things like requiring that you accept a a tribal ID. If you're going to require an ID, allow for tribal IDs. Uh, Requiring um, that that ID doesn't have an address necessarily on it. Uh, An increase in ballot drop boxes. And these type of practicable fixes, like Hillary was saying that, hey, you know, we need specific protections. And NAVRA does a lot of that. And it also has a little bit of uh, language assistance in there. And it has a a lot of practical solutions. Yeah, and that's tremendous. And by the way, you can check out the amazing report that Jacqueline referenced on NARF's website, which has a lot of good data and gives some really impactful case studies on these issues. So I want to touch on a part of this discussion that really has very unique legal underpinnings, which is I've always thought it was interesting that a lot, you know, all of our voting rights legal system is largely defined by state governments. So could you tell us a little bit about why that might not be a good fit for tribal nations uh, and the unique relationship legally that tribes have with the federal government and why a federal mandate might make extra good sense in this context? States have long been afraid of the native vote. So we've had a long history, a long documented history of states, especially with sizable native populations, just being really terrified of an enfranchised Native American electorate because they know the power that the native vote has. And so we hear a lot about the civil rights movement. There was also a parallel going on in Indian country where Native Americans were explicitly prohibited from casting their ballots, and they were specifically required to give up their tribal citizenship or renounce tribal citizenship in order to vote. So there's like this long history of disenfranchisement that goes on at the state level. And in modern day, they really haven't given that up. We just saw in Brnovich v. DNC, that Arizona legislature uh, is, you know, really cutting out the Native vote uh, by making it more difficult for Native Americans to return their ballot. So disenfranchisement is occurring at the state level by state actors. Now, the federal government and tribes obviously uh, have a unique relationship, you know, called the trust relationship. And part of the basis of that trust relationship is really, you know, this idea that Native Americans are going to be incorporated into the American politic. In some ways, we've seen mm-hmm. that go really badly through things like trying integration or you know assimilation. Um, and in other ways, right. you know, in other administrations and times, there's been an affirmation of tribal sovereignty and a government to government relationship under that. But in any instance, the core of that relationship is this idea that Native Americans are Americans now, right? And that the federal government has a responsibility to steward that relationship through, to create you know, a Native American and a, you know, the Native American tribal government and a federal government relationship. And no matter what, a core of that is that Native Americans are entitled to vote in the U.S. uh, system. And so I think that there's a very strong foundation in the trust relationship 
to say the federal government has a unique obligation here to make sure that tribes have fair and equitable access to voting and that states that have long shown that they can be bad actors, you know, are prohibited from keeping Native Americans from voting. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think that reinforces the trust relationship, reinforces the notion that Congress needs to act. Like this is a part of Congress's plenary power to engage in Indian affairs. That concept comes out of the U.S. Constitution and the Indian Commerce Clause. And it seems like in terms of fulfilling that trust responsibility and relationship that the U.S. government has to tribes, uh, that passing voting rights legislation really fits perfectly into that paradigm uh, and really gives a very strong foundation legally as to why Native Americans are uniquely situated. So tell us a bit about what is the influence of the Native vote? Uh, you've mentioned a couple times, like, our, you know, our vote matters it, it, and that there is this fear of states having a strong Native vote, because as we all know, we are a big and strong population. But in terms of its, our, our relationship to the rest of the U.S. population, we are a small, small part of that, those numbers. So tell us well, how is the Native vote influential? So the Native vote is influential. I just want to emphasize that the Native vote is influential at a national level. But before I get into that, emphasize how the Native vote, no matter what our size, is hugely influential at the local level, right? So no matter what, it, whether you're in one of these states that I mentioned, the Native vote has the power um, to elect school boards, has the power to elect, you know, decide what your children are learning, decide whether or not the curriculum will include Native Americans. The Native vote is always powerful at a local level. And then there's the added bonus, which has turned a lot of attention to us, that the Native vote is very powerful at the national level. And that's because it just so happens that Native Americans compose key populations in what are very, very tight races nationally. So in Arizona, uh, you know, a place where a presidential election can be decided by 10,000 votes and, you know, a the, the on-reservation population of, of Native Americans can be 50,000 people. Uh, Native Americans have the power to swing states, uh, key states in this country. Uh, so whether it be you know, the Native Americans make up a larger margin than what elections were decided in states like Arizona, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, Michigan. Yeah, exactly. And given these small margins, uh, it doesn't matter that your population is small. You're small but mighty. And I think that there was a lot of coverage, for example, that, that native, the Native vote swung Arizona, right? And what do we immediately see? Our disenfranchising efforts in places like Arizona. Mm. You know, the Native vote was attributed to Heidi Heidkamp's win uh, in 2012. And in 2013 is when they passed the North Dakota voter ID law. So, uh, you know, the Native vote was also uh, responsible for Senator Tester's win out of Montana, and we're seeing uh, huge disenfranchising efforts uh, out of Montana, something that the U.S., you know, these, these 
ballot collection bans that the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights Montana Advisory Committee called intentional discrimination uh, because they could see that the legislature was targeting Native American reservations. And so, you know, I think that we are powerful and as a result, uh, we're getting suppressed. And so, you know, I think that we have to, to respond and respond with things like demanding NAVRA. Yeah, that is really some great examples of how the Native vote can really swing the outcome of elections. I'd also want to add for our audience that we are uniquely, I, I mentioned earlier, we are we are unique citizens and that we are dual citizens. So having special legislation focused on Native Americans also is because of our unique political class as tribal citizens. So that is an additional reason why there, there would be a very strong legal defense to any kind of legislation of this nature, uh, given that it arises out of our tribal membership as well. So turning to NAVRA now, it was introduced in August. I, I know there's been some other activity on the broader voting rights bills. There was the For, For the People Act, a lot of negotiations around that particular proposal where Senator Manchin is very influential in all things in the Senate these days. And recently, it sounds like the Democratic side has come up with a compromise proposal called the Freedom to Vote Act, which was worked on with San Senator Manchin uh, some, and some other folks on the Dem side in, in the Senate. But it's going to be a tough tough run, I think, in the Senate to get support for that, given the filibuster rule. And uh, it, it remains to, to be seen whether Senator Manchin can get that bipartisanship support that he's looking for. So tell us a bit, like, where where is NAVRA in all of this? And, and what do you see happening in the next couple of months this fall with, with the legislation? Yeah, so I think NAVRA is tied to the fates of any voting rights bill. Right. Um, you know, I don't know yeah. if uh, we would have the ability to pass, you know, NAVRA standalone, even though it is does have bipartisan support in the House. It is really the, the filibuster that's preventing sort of any voting rights legislation from moving forward. You mentioned Senator Manchin, but of course, uh, Senator Sinema has also come out against the filibuster. But, you know, ultimately, with Senator Sinema also against the filibuster, I think that is a place where Indian country can weigh in. She represents Arizona, um, and there's a real opportunity for uh, the Native community and in Arizona to educate her uh, on our needs, um, on our very pressing needs, and uh, the ways in which the Arizona legislature has intentionally uh, suppressed and intentionally discriminated against Native Americans. Just this past election in Arizona, you know, the county clerk refused to to open the Pasquayaki on-reservation early voting site and instead spent $180,000 to defend that decision instead of just opening the voting site, which actually wouldn't have cost them anything because the state would have provided them funds to open that site. And so, you know, there's an entrenched discrimination that is incurring uh, in Arizona. And there's a there's a place uh, to, to advocate and let uh, Senator Sinema know 
um, how this is a civil rights issue of our time, and that if there's going to be an exception to the filibuster, something like democracy, reform, protecting Native American rights is something that needs to be done. And um, so, so I think, you know, really, NAVRA is uh, tied uh, to these larger voting rights bills, but also should be included in these voting rights bills. And that's something that we also need to push is don't forget about us. You know, if you're going to put if you're going to you know have some reform, y- you need to add NAVRA um, and you need to add the heart of NAVRA, which is on reservation polling places and registration opportunities. And sort of what I'm a little concerned about, you mentioned the you know, the Freedom to Vote Act that doesn't include a a federal mandate Mm -hmm. for on-reservation polling places. And so I think that's something, it has some tribal provisions, um, but not some of the most critical ones. And so we have to continue to push and say, you know, we need this legislation and we need it now. Yeah, that's always the case I find in Indian affairs and legal issues, which is, you know, don't forget the Indians. And yes, we have a unique (laughs) uh, legal regime that we're dealing with that really requires that customized solution. I'd also hope some of the Republicans in the Senate also uh, have been great advocates on Indian issues over the years, right? And uh, maybe there is a opportunity to build some bridges across the aisle with those folks like Senator Murkowski and and Senator Barrasso, very familiar with these um, issues in Indian country. So it, it remains to be seen. So we are out of time for for our lovely chat. We're going to have to check back in with you after Congress adjourns and we'll have a follow-up discussion. We'd love to hear how things pan out. But thank you, Jacqueline, for all the work that you do. And I certainly would want you as my lawyer because uh, you're a fierce advocate <laughs> and um, we, we, <laughs> you, we really, really value your work in Indian country. Well, likewise, uh, you know, we think we will, we'll, we'll be, we'll have each other's backs, Hillary. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for having me. And again, for, <laughs> for spreading these issues far and wide. And uh, I, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk to you. Um, and uh, it's been, it's been really great to catch up. Likewise, we'll chat some more. This is a wrap on Hill Time. Until next time.